Hey guys, so mistakenly, I said in this episode that Rui Hachimura went to Virginia. I don't know why I said Virginia, but probably because he plays for the Wizards, close proximity to the University of Virginia. So he went to Gonzaga, and therefore he obviously didn't win a national championship either with Virginia. So just a quick correction, but otherwise, I hope you guys enjoy episode 198. Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. It is Friday, January 27th, 2023. I'm your host, as always, The Pody. Happy Friday, everybody. Championship weekend. We've got the 49ers and Eagles in the NFC and the Chiefs and Bengals in the AFC were down to the final four. We will get into all of that a little bit later. We'll recap the divisional round games from last weekend. We'll talk a little NBA. The All-Star Game starters were announced uh, last night. We won't get the reserves, or excuse me, we won't get the... We won't find out uh, the teams until pregame. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on. Um, my mind's a little bit all over the place. I've just been reading up uh, about some last-minute stuff going on around uh, the sports world. So I think it's time to jump in. No real intro today. About a minute 40 in. I don't really have much else for you. I want to jump in. It's nearly, it's about 7.45 here on the East Coast. Um, it's just a big, exciting week of football. I could use some wins. I could really use some wins um, in the betting world. Uh, I'm a little bit desperate at this point, but we'll suffice. We'll do. We'll manage. We'll get it going. And without further ado, here we go. I said we were going to recap the NFL divisional round playoff games, and here we go. Let's start. The Kansas City Chiefs shocker. They advance once again to their fifth straight AFC title game. They've now won the conference five straight years. They will be hosting the Bengals on Sunday. However, they beat the Jags. They didn't cover the eight and a half, nine, whatever it was, because Mahomes suffered an angle ankle injury, excuse me, early in this game, was hobbling around before he finally had to come out, go get some quick x-rays, and then Chad Henney came in. So it was a little bit of a last-second backdoor cover, which, by the way, helped me hit a phenomenal parlay off a free bet, although it wasn't really free because I had lost money just to get the free $100 bet uh, the week prior. So anyway, but I was desperate for that bet. It was a three-team parlay. I'll talk about that in a second. But they end up holding on to win this one 27-20, and it definitely sets up some question marks for this weekend's game, which is why I really think I've got to be careful betting this game, I hate to say it, 
You might have to sprinkle in an anytime touchdown type of bet. You, I don't think you could take the spread in this game as much as you want to take the 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 Chiefs just because it's like will Burrow beat them beat Mahomes and the Chiefs for the fourth straight time? Will they go back to another Super Bowl for the second year in a in a row, which would just be incredible because nobody saw this coming yet again. So it's just one of those things you want to take the over. I was all over the overs again this weekend. Um, and I just hate the fact that I saw this coming the week prior, but I got all screwy because all the overs were hitting the week prior and I'm thinking it's playoff time. So how are these teams not being able to play good defense? And then of course you get to the divisional round with the real, the real stud teams and that's when the defense comes out. So there was no scoring in pretty much any of these games. So um, something to keep an eye on. I might I might stay away from that game. Um, let's see. So yeah, when Mahomes, that's what I wanted to say. When Mahomes went out, that touchdown drive that Chad Henney orchestrated, 37, 38-year-old, 37-year-old uh, Chad Henney, who came in and just, I mean, 98-yard touchdown drive. They had the long run by Isaiah Pacheco, and then it was capped off by a three-yard touchdown pass to Travis Kelsey. Just incredible. And when you have such a great play caller like an Andy Reid, he puts any quarterback in a good situation. Of course, Henny has done this in the past. He came into the playoffs in the 2020 divisional round. Uh, this was the divisional round also. Funny how that stuff works out. And he won them, uh, had a comeback win in, in that game as well. But um, yeah, just everything's up in the air now with Mahomes' ankle. They say he's fine. You know, Andy Reid said he's going to start, but um, I just don't know how to feel about that. And I'm, I'm sorry for anyone that bet the Chiefs with the points because, I mean, this kid for the, I, the Jags, down by 10, they run down real quick. They kick a 48-yard field goal with like 30 seconds left, and I'm praying because I needed that field goal to hit the third leg of my parlay to hit the over. I was shy by one point. I, it was at 44. I needed over 45 and a half, I believe it was. Um, I think it was actually might have been at 45 at the time. Um, and it just a godsend. It hits. And what was funny is it was 27 to 17. That was the exact score when these two teams played earlier in the year. So it was about to end on 44. And I'm like, no, this can't be the same score as last game. And he kicks the, you know, because it was a kicker I'm not very familiar with. Young guy, not a lot of experience. And they were saying the range was 50. And I'm like, this guy can't kick longer than a 50-yard field goal. Like, you're in trouble. And then he he bangs the forty eight yarder, thankfully, and I really needed that one. Um, so yeah, they 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 hold on to win that game there. All right, let's. We don't have to talk about the Eagles and Giants game. I stupidly took the Giants with the points. I thought this was a really high point spread, but this is what happens. I should have seen this coming. Giants are not a great team. They don't have any receivers. They did amazing this year. I'm not taking anything away from them, but they got the big emotional win in the first round against the Vikings on the road, and I should have seen them 
this coming a mile away. I should have seen the dud coming, but I'm like, this is a divisional rivalry. Uh, there's no way that they could possibly get blown out and they lose 38 to seven. It was just disastrous. Brian Dayball at one point goes for a, a, an unbelievable fourth down that I just don't know why, like what he was thinking. It might've been the worst, you know, call of the entire season. Just one of the most lopsided games in, in playoff history. Uh, Jalen Hurts actually was running the ball a little bit. He looked a lot healthier than I expected, and they just got walloped by a team that was clearly in a different league. And let's get to the Bengals-Bills, where I already told you that the Bengals beat the Bills, and it wasn't even close. This is another one I lost. I really thought the Bills would win this game. They were at home. I thought they'd clean up those mistakes from the week prior against Miami where I thought they looked really bad and really could have lost that game to Skylar Thompson. So I'm like, all right, another week. Damar Hamlin was in the house. Despite all these TikTok videos and rumors that Damar Hamlin it wasn't DeMar Hamlin. It was snowing. They never actually showed his face. He had a ton of security blocking his face. He's wearing sunglasses so you can't see his face. There was all these crazy conspiracies on the internet saying that DeMar Hamlin is going to be pronounced like dead in months to come. I'm seeing like uh, death certificates that are out there like on the internet showing that, oh, you know, his mother is on this death certificate. That's her name. Just crazy, crazy stuff. It's like, what are we doing, people? Uh, you know, do I think it's a little weird he didn't give any interviews and you never really got to see him? Yeah, but the entire team, including Josh Allen, said they FaceTimed with this guy. He's been going to the facilities every day. Like, let's chill. It's fun to to to, to play these games and be like, oh, my God, because people want to think mysterious, like, what's going on? The NFL can't afford to say a player's dead, so they're going to wait and then say in months in the offseason that – this guy died of complications, you know, so just crazy. But um, yeah, I thought all of that with him being there, his family, they that the Bills would win, especially in the snow, like they'd be used to that. And they got destroyed. I mean, destroyed. They they the Bengals marched down the field, touchdown, first drive, second drive of the game. I thought this was the play of the game. It was a third and seven and I don't have it here, um, but third and seven, and it was the Hayden Hurst touchdown. I figured if the Bills could get a stop here, they needed it desperately, get this to a 10-0 game, and that's it. You can't give up a touchdown here, and they gave up the touchdown on like a, a little bit of a pick and wheel route from Hayden Hurst, wide open in the end zone, easy touchdown grab from the former uh, baseball star there and um, and South Carolina product, but my goodness, 14 nothing. The Bills went three and out on the first two drives. It was over right then and there. Right then and there. Um, I, I just don't understand the play calling. If you are calling plays as an offensive coordinator, isn't the objective to not get to third down? Like if I'm OC of a bad team, I don't want to get to third down, or in this case, they're a good team, but they are a bad rushing team. The only good runner on this team is Josh Allen, and he can run people over. They were trying to run the ball in the first two possessions, and they were getting themselves in like third down situations, and then 
the Bengals pass rush, which it's okay. I don't think it's like top 10 or even top five in this, in this game. And they were bulldozing these Bills O-linemen. And I don't know why the Bills couldn't do it to the Bengals. The Bengals were without, what, three offensive linemen? And they held up very well. In fact, let me see how many times Joe Burrow was sacked in this game. Because it wasn't, it wasn't, it, it wouldn't have been what you think. So in the first game against the Ravens, Burrow was sacked four times. He was only sacked once in this game. Once. So I couldn't quite understand it, and um, it it was just something about this Bengals team that clicks in the playoffs. They they you you can't at this point say like I say they they keep getting lucky. Like Joe Burrow has never hasn't had to like go and win a game yet for them. I believe in his playoff career now in the last two seasons, even last year when they went to the Super Bowl, he has yet to throw a fourth quarter touchdown, which means, which tells me uh, he's had the lead in all of those games except the Super Bowl. And in the Super Bowl, he couldn't mount the comeback. So everyone wants to hop on the Justin Burrow train, Joe Cool, this and that, but his he's not putting up gaudy numbers. You have to really give most of the credit to uh, this defense led by, you know, led by their defensive coordinator, Lou Anarumo, you know, who who's a New York guy. So it, it really is shocking. Like this guy is winning games with Eli Apple as his top corner. Uh, it, it's it's unbelievable. Uh, so, yeah, give them credit that the offense was okay. Like Burrow threw, uh, you know, he threw the the touchdowns fine. He threw the two touchdowns, but two hundred forty two yards, two, you know, nothing gaudy. I like this. I want to see like Brock Purdy numbers. You know, three touchdowns, a rushing touchdown, three hundred fifty yards. Like, where's that? You're the number one pick, but that's why he didn't. He wasn't able to win the Super Bowl last year because he went up against an elite defense. We'll see what he can do. I, I the Chiefs, the Chiefs are a veteran bunch. Um, so so I'm curious to see how they switch things up now because it's been three straight chances uh, against the the against them, and, and the the Chiefs just can't seem to figure it out. So you know, Spagnola, he's won Super Bowls. He's gonna have to figure it out. This would be, I think he has, to, if they can't, if he can't figure it out and stop Joe Burrow and loses to them a fourth time and Burrow goes 4-0 against the Chiefs in his career, then I'm sorry, Spagnola has to go, especially if they lose this game because of the defense. If Mahomes is banged up and then really gets hurt again or something to that effect and he's so limited that, you know, you can't, you can't win the game because you're not scoring on offense. I actually thought that, that he should have been benched and they should have just stuck with Chad Henney after that drive because it was kind of hard to watch, you know, um, this guy, Mahomes, hobbling after a couple plays here and there. I'm just like, this guy's compromised. He could get hurt further. Get him out. Put Chad Henney in there because I needed points. So it's going to be a really, really fun AFC championship game. This whole weekend's going to be great. It, they're toss-up games. I personally want to take the Chiefs just because I'm not a Bengals guy and the 49ers for sure. I feel confident about, sorry, I feel confident about the 49ers more so than I do the the Chiefs for sure. But man, they're both toss-up games and I just hope they're they're really, really good games as well.
Okay, Cowboys, 49ers, let's get to it. The final game of the weekend, very tightly contested throughout, but really, really low-scoring game. I took the over in this one. That was a bust early. I knew 49ers would cover, but I parlayed it with the over, of course, and it was 6-6 throughout most of the second quarter. Dak threw an early horrific interception, and then this one really flipped the game. Uh, It was about a minute and a half left to go in the first half. It was 6-6. The Cowboys were driving in just inside the 20 when this happened. In the half. Prescott, it is picked off by Fred Warner. Warner's got it. Lamb chases him down in a second interception today for the 49ers. So two first half interceptions. That was so crucial. Just under a minute 30, the the Cowboys were going. It looked like they were going to get a touchdown in all honesty. They would have went into the half, you know, with a with a seven point lead at worst three point lead, right? If they stall, they could kick a field goal. But what did they do? What what happens? Fred Warner gets the interception. It was a bad throw. It was kind of it was all covered because the other defender, I forget who that was, basically had the interception, but knocked it up in the air right to Fred Warner and they get the pick. What does Brock Purdy and the offense do? They go down and they get a field goal right before the half to go up nine to six. It was such a killer, such a momentum shifter, and just really set the tone for the second half. Now, give the Cowboys credit. They scored the only points in the third quarter, but but headed to the fourth, the 49ers were at what? The two yard line they had gone on. They proceeded to go on a 12 play touchdown scoring drive. So 11 of those plays were in the final 558 of the third quarter. And then the first play of the fourth quarter, they score the touchdown to take a 16 9 lead. Both teams would trade field goals. So it was 19 to 12. And one quick note, by the way, Brett Maher missed another extra point. Yes, it was blocked, but he absolutely shanked it left. If it wasn't blocked, it stood no chance of going through the uprights. This guy has the yips and yowzers. So, yeah, at this point when it's 19-12, there's not a lot of time left. Dallas uses all their timeouts. They get the stop. The 49ers punt the ball down to the six-yard line with 45 seconds left. Now, let me just tell you something. This drive will go down in NFL playoff history as one of the most insane drives of all time. Nothing, A whole lot of nothing happened, but at the same time, everything happened. So let me cap it off. The very first play, Dak rolls right, and I guess he's just, he's in the end zone, but I guess he he's just looking deep, looking deep, and he forgets there's a pass rush. I don't remember who it was, but he just, they basically collide, and he doesn't get the, the, the safety, and Dak somehow bounces, like, through it or off of it, 
and he sees Dalton Schultz open and he tries to get him on, hit him on the sideline. And it just at the last second, he's a second late and it gets batted down. It would have been a, a huge gain. And when you have only 45 seconds in a situation like that, they needed a completion essentially on every single play. They had to be absolutely perfect. So that was the first play. Dalton Schultz then catches two balls, I believe, in bounds. So then they're having to hurry up. Dalton Schultz then catches another ball that would have been for a huge gain, except one problem. He forgot he was in the NFL and not in college anymore and mistakenly had plenty of room, only gets one foot inbounds, no catch. And then, ladies and gentlemen, the final play of the game. This brought back memories of that awful Colts fake punt from a few years ago because for some ungodly reason with six seconds left at their own 25 or 26. Ezekiel Elliott, the running back for the Cowboys, Ezekiel Elliott lined up at center and snapped the ball to Dak. Just unbelievable. Final play. It looks like barring a penalty. Prescott over the middle of the turpin. Gets smoked right away. And that'll do it. The 49ers back to the championship game. So Zeke hikes the ball and gets absolutely run over. Dak basically had no choice at that point but to throw the ball over the middle, no less. To Cavante Turpin, who was immediately tackled to end the game. Their season ended on a pass to Cavante Turpin. Is that not unbelievable or what? It's, it's, it's incredible. So another year, another loss for the Cowboys, a team this talented that could have and probably should have scored a hell of a lot more than 12 points. And it should have, you know, it is absolutely capable of winning a Super Bowl, in my opinion, with this roster. But guess what? Dak was actually terrible in this game. He was outplayed by Mr. Irrelevant himself, Brock Purdy. I honestly don't know where the Cowboys go from here. They're in a stacked division. It's only going to get tougher and it was their seventh straight divisional round loss. Something has to change. I mean, Brett Maher, as good as he is at kicking field goals, somebody has to be, you know, they're going to want to blame somebody. And he missed a hell of a lot of extra points in the playoffs. I know he didn't cost him this game with the blocked extra point. But is it him? Is it McCarthy? Jerry Jones seems to keep saying that McCarthy's not going anywhere, especially after the loss. So I don't know if they just roll, run it back as is, they're going to be in for some more disappointment because I'm starting to feel much like the Cowboys. Uh, excuse me. I'm starting to feel like the Cowboys are a whole lot similar to my New York Yankees, a whole lot of hype and a whole lot of disappointment come the playoffs. Okay, I'll get into my predictions a little bit later. But first, the Jets made a splash yesterday hiring Nathaniel Hackett as their new offensive coordinator. And the media had a field day with this. First of all, on the Michael K show, they're talking about why this guy goes by the name Nathaniel and not Nate. They seem to think 
it could mean that he's a little tight. And listen, I don't care if his name is Baby Jesus, whatever the hell his name is, if he can coach, I'll be happy. But I do believe it's a little weird. Nathaniel is like one of the 12 apostles, and it's just an old school, old style name. Of course, we know the whole history with Paul Hackett. Um, I believe he was here with the Jets, and that was view, viewed as one of the worst. I think, was that 07? Uh, one of my buddies who's a Jets fan was just absolutely livid with this hire. And let me see. Apparently, the Jets claim they interviewed 15 offensive coordinators for the job, but they kept circling back to Hackett for whatever that's worth. Of course, this is the Nathaniel Hackett who made it through 15 games before being fired. Yeah, Paul Hackett, his dad, was basically booed out of New York and is often considered one of the worst offensive coordinators in team history. He jumped before he was pushed, opting to resign in January of 05 before being fired, which he almost certainly would have. Was he as bad as memory serves? The Jets ranked 17th in points scored in 01. 15th in 2002, tied for 23rd in 03, and 17th in 04. His inability to use the tight ends was always a sour spot, and many thought that if you had someone like Curtis Martin, you should could you should consistently be in the top 10. So they just hired that guy's da uh, son for whatever that's worth. I don't really care. I look at the track record. He's not like one of these big, big names, but I was go I was looking to go after a guy that was just a head coach that's a, a very successful offensive coordinator that couldn't hack it as a head coach because we've now seen with Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles is, had two stints as a head coach. He's still the head coach of the Bucs. He is an awful head coach. Awful. But he won a Super Bowl as DC of the Bucs and they had the best defense in the league. And they arguably last year could have won a Super Bowl. They they just, an insane comeback against the Rams and their defense really crapped the bed. So really that one was on Todd Bowles as well. They gave up over 40 points to, to the Rams who ended up winning that Super Bowl. But you get my point. He was able to win a Super Bowl as a defensive coordinator. Some of these guys just can't do everything and, and, and pay attention to their one specialty because as an offensive coordinator for the, for the, um, for the, Packers, Hackett helped Rodgers win back-to-back -back MVPs. Now, granted, he wasn't even calling plays. Matt LaFleur, the head coach, was. So his responsibilities to go from that to a head coach, I mean, it's 100 miles a minute. So some guys just aren't made, meant to do it. And yes, it was an abject failure. I'm hearing that he runs a West Coast system that Russell Wilson wanted no part of, and he loves to do these motions, and that's why they were so successful with Rodgers, because you're able to move Devontae from he from outside, you get him in motion to the slot, and then you get off coverage, and, and you get switching, and all sorts of mismatches and whatnot, and that's what the Jets did with LaFleur, or were trying to, they just didn't have the quarterback. And one more thing I'll add, as everyone, Stephen A. Smith and Ryan Clark and all these experts, supposed experts, want to bash the hire of Nathaniel Hackett, and including my friends that are Jets fans, I will say one thing. Do you think Nathaniel Hackett, after going from that disaster, that was one of the worst head coaching like experiences and jobs that we've seen in a long time, right? Didn't even make it through the first season, much like Urban Meyer. Do you think 
and he's getting paid, by the way, because he signed a multi-year deal and got fired after 15 games. So he could have just sat back, relaxed, taken some time off, and come back to the NFL in a couple years, much like Adam Gase is doing. We don't know where he is because he was so bad. But this was on that level, right? So for him to, knowing all that, for him to now come back the very next year and sign on with the Jets to be their offensive coordinator, when the Jets have no quarterback, Let's face it, no quarterback. You're telling me he just decided to sign up. He'll be out of the NFL if this fails and they don't get a quarterback. So for him to put all his eggs in this basket and become the Jets offensive coordinator tells me that he has a plan. The Jets have a plan. They're going to secure a quarterback. And let me tell you, if they get the right guy, if he's able to finally lure Aaron Rodgers, because that's why they hired him in Denver, right? They thought they were going to be able to get Rodgers. Well, that didn't happen. And I could tell you why it didn't happen. Now, you can go listen to Pat McAfee showing all this. Rodgers loves him some hack. He calls him hack. He was very integral in Rodgers winning those MVPs. He didn't call the plays, but let me tell you, he's doing all the dirty work in the film studies and sitting with them one-on-one and he's helping LaFleur and they're going over game plans. Like He's very integral in this whole thing. LaFleur gets all the credit, but he's helping out this, this, this ship, you know, stay afloat and stay a well-oiled machine. So he's more than capable of running an offense. And he wasn't able to get Rodgers in Denver, but if you think about it, if I'm Aaron Rodgers and I go to Denver to work with this guy, he's now the head coach. He has to deal with so many different things. He can't give you that attention that you so you're so used to because, you know, Rogers, let's face it. He's that type of guy that he's, he wants to command all the attention. He doesn't want you checking out the other, you know, girls at the bar. He wants you to focus on him. So maybe that was a drawback for Hackett being the the head coach. But now that he's the offensive coordinator, Rogers could be like, okay, I'll go to New York. I'll get a nice two, three year deal. I can help mentor my buddy, Zach Wilson, who's really, really struggling. And I could possibly become an absolute legend because they have a a made for Super Bowl ready defense. They have two guys on the O line, Vera Tucker, who was playing at an all pro level before he got hurt, and then Makai Becton. We don't really know. He seems to be in really good shape. We'll see. I'm not banking on that, but already you you have Brees Hall coming back. This team on offense is going to be better than it was this year. You got Garrett Wilson on the outside. I mean, you have some studs. It's better than what Rodgers had to work with in Green Bay this year, and he almost made that work and got them to the playoffs. So to me, it's a no-brainer for him to come here. If he comes here, let me just say, let me just say, the Jets will instantly have a puncher's chance. Like, I'm not joking. The Jets, with Aaron Rodgers next year and everything I just said, getting all those pieces back and whatnot, the Jets will 1,000% make the playoffs, number one. That's for for sure. I'll go as far as to say they win the division. They can definitely win the division. And I'll go as far as to say, from what I'm seeing, you know, Cincinnati, we can beat them. We've beaten them in the past with, with Mike White. They barely beat us this year, let's face it. And that was with, like, Joe Flacco, I think, at the beginning of the year. So they're beatable. I, I, the Bills look very vulnerable this year. I, the Jets could easily find themselves in another AFC championship after, what, 12 years? 
by next season if they had Rodgers. And I still think they could get to that level. They'll definitely get to the playoff level if they get a Derek Carr or a Jimmy Garoppolo type like that. Uh, but with Aaron Rodgers, I don't care if his numbers are down. He doesn't have the players he ha- that are here with that defense. He competes for he helps his team compete for a Super Bowl. I'm not that's a fact. So we'll see. We'll see what 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 brews what, what comes from this. And there's all talk the Packers are looking for two first round picks, but they just offer they just gave him a three year hundred fifty million dollar deal. So you're not getting if you want the Jets to eat that money you're not getting two first-round picks out of this. So there's no way. So the Jets wouldn't even have to give up two first-round picks. Everyone's saying two first-round picks, but there's no way that's possible if you're going to make them eat that money when they when they trade for them. So I, I love the idea. And one more note on Hackett. Oh, yeah, he had he had Aaron Rodgers. Uh, that's why, you know, his offenses were so good in Green Bay and Devontae Adams in this net. He helped Blake Bortles who's out of the league, former, what, number one, uh, was he number one or number two overall pick? Something like that, um, number of years ago. That team, that 2017 Jacksonville Jaguar team went to an AFC championship game and they were winning in the fourth quarter until Tom Brady, you know, did what Tom Brady does and won the game. But it's really miraculous what he did with that team. And Doug Marone speaks very highly of him. Of course, he was the coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars at the time. And his track record speaks more to success than it does to this one anomaly season with Denver. So I'm not, I'm not like, I don't know what, what Jet fans wanted. What were our other options? Cliff Kingsbury took a plane ride, a one-way ticket to Thailand and said, nobody talked to me. He's he needs a break and then he's probably going to go back to the college ranks next year. You know, Frank Reich, I'll talk about that next. He just got hired by the Colts. He was another guy I was maybe thinking about. Um, but he's now with, with, with the uh, excuse me, with the Carolina Panthers. Like there wasn't many options out there. I don't know what we wanted. I guess my one buddy didn't want us to fire LaFleur because we had all these injuries and everything and we were a really good offense before Brees Hall got hurt. Yeah, that's all well and good, but somebody had to pay for the Jets not making the playoffs yet again after they were 7-4, and four, and it happened to be Mike LaFleur. So just deal with it. I don't think Hackett's a bad hire at all. Okay, speaking of Frank Reich, the Panthers have hired him over, I guess, Steve Wilkes. What was the was those were the two last guys standing, maybe? I'm not really a fan of Reich, but again, if he were to come to if he was gonna come to the Jets as an OC, I wouldn't have been mad at that. Uh I do know that in five years with the Colts as their head coach, every year he had a different starting quarterback to begin the season. And now he's going to have another one. And it's a huge, uh, tall task to 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 go into Carolina. I mean, they're in a complete rebuild. Yes, Steve Wilkes won six out of their seven, you know, the seven games that they won, and they were competing towards the end of the year for that division, but it was a bad division. And they traded CMC. They traded Robbie Anderson. Um, So he's got got his work cut out for him, and he's not really a young, young guy. So good luck with a rebuild there. Uh, Meanwhile, this is interesting. Attorneys for Steve Wilkes expressed displeasure, saying there is a legitimate race problem in the NFL, and we can assure you that we will have more to say in the coming days. Of course, Wilkes 
being black, was not hired. And he was already part of the ongoing Brian Flores lawsuit against the NFL. I think I knew that, but I just kind of that was so long ago that um, not not that it was so long. ago. I, it was like last off season or whatever. But so much goes on throughout the, the season to keep up and remember that is crazy. So I probably remember that, but just, you know, forgot about it because I read it. and I was like, oh, wow, I don't really remember that. But so stay tuned for more on that drama. Oh, and by the way, just a couple hours ago, the Los Angeles Rams made a little bit of a splash. They hired our former OC, Mike LaFleur, to be their new offensive coordinator. It's actually a very wild offseason because I can't remember another offseason where so many coaches that have been fired are immediately getting rehired by other teams, just cycling through. Normally, a lot of these guys have to take a year or so off before they come back. Like, nobody hires them. They always hire the new upcoming, like the D'Amico Ryans and all these coordinator types that are on these Super Bowl contending teams. So it's very, very shocking that immediately I thought maybe Mike LaFleur would go hang out, you know, be the offensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers and his brother, because his brother did try to hire him with the the Packers a couple years ago. And Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan basically wouldn't let him. They blocked it because they didn't want him going. So you know, very interesting there. Hey, maybe Mike LaFleur knows that Aaron Rodgers isn't coming back. And he's like, I want no part of that rebuild with Jordan Love. So I'm going to go to the Rams where, you know, we're in a remodel, not a rebuild. Good luck with that. All right. College basketball time. I think the NFL's crazy. What in the world is going on with this sport this year? We're nowhere closer to figuring out who the best team in the country is. Seemingly every other week, there's a new number one. There's an upset every other day or every day, really. Um, Saturday was just uh, something you you never really see. It was rare, rarefied air. So first off, we have number two, Kansas, blown out at home. Absolutely blown out. 83 to 60 by number 14, TCU. Excuse me, what Jamie Dixon has done there, my goodness, what a turnaround. Awesome to see that. This was the Jayhawks' second straight loss and is very significant because under Bill Self, Kansas just does not lose at home. Less than once per season. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's how good they are at home. And I believe it was their largest loss under Bill Self. And that loss, that drubbing by TCU carried over to their game against Baylor on Monday night where they looked quite shockingly bad yet again. But uh, Baylor took a lead early and Kansas just could not really climb back. They were only down six or seven at the half and I thought they'd mount a little bit of a comeback. I watched this entire game and they just could never really get it going. They tied it at one point in the second half and then boom, just like that, Baylor was back up by 10. Just unbelievable. They've lost three in a row and they have to play Kentucky tomorrow. It gets better though. On Sunday, so Kansas loses Saturday. Then on Sunday, we see number one Houston beaten at home by Temple as 19-point favorites. 
Temple's win is the largest upset over an AP number one team since Stephen F. Austin. Remember that game when Stephen F. Austin beat number one Duke as 27.5 point underdogs on November 26, 2019? I remember that game. Temple, the craziest part about this whole thing is Temple shot just 31.1% from the field. That is the lowest field goal percentage by a team to defeat an AP number one since the 1963 national championship when Loyola Chicago knocked off Cincinnati 60-58 to in overtime despite shooting 23 of 84, 27.4% from the field. This also marked the first time in AP poll history that both of the top two teams lost at home in a two-day span. But it gets crazier. It gets crazier. And I'm not talking about Rutgers beating Penn State the other night by 20, although great, great bounce back after the Michigan State game. Got Iowa on Sunday. No, I'm talking about holy cannoli. Georgetown finally won a Big East showdown. Oh my God. This marks the first time Patrick Ewing's Hoyas have won a conference game in their last 30 tries. They were 0 for their past 29. They beat DePaul on Tuesday, 81-76. My dad is trying to tell me that he was he he was going to tell me. He told me this. I what was this? This was on um Tuesday, right? So I guess Wednesday. Or no, Tuesday night, he texted me when they won. And he said, oh, I, I was going to tell you earlier that I thought earlier today that I thought Georgetown was actually going to win this game. I don't know if I believe it, but I'll take his word for it. Anyway, prior to that matchup on Tuesday, the Hoyas' most recent regular season conference win came against Xavier all the way back on March 2nd, 2021. They obviously hold the record for most consecutive Big East losses. And with the win, they have now improved to 6-15 and 15 and 1-9 and nine in the conference on the season. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Good job, Patrick Ewing. Got it done. Okay, uh, this is some, some football news. Texas lands a big-time transfer from Georgia. Yeah, that Georgia that just won a national championship. Adonai Mitchell, I think they call him A.D. I was watching some highlights, and the announcers were saying, A.D. Mitchell in the college football playoff because he had touchdowns in every college football playoff game in the last two years. And he's a two-time national champion, and he's going to be a junior and he just transferred to Texas. I mean, does he think that with Stetson Bennett gone, he his team is going to suffer? Uh, does he think playing with Arch Manning is going to bolster his, his draft stock or his NFL stock because Texas is going to be must-watch TV? I don't know. But I will tell you something. It is odd that in his two years at Georgia, he only caught 30 passes for three touchdowns in the regular season. But 
in the CFP. He seemed to play a lot where he caught in 2021, that run to the national championship, he caught four passes for 84 yards and two touchdowns in the playoff. And this season he caught four for 65 and two touchdowns. Just very, very bizarre. I mean, you win two national championships. You don't play a lot in the regular season. And now that you, your quarterback's gone, you're just going to up and leave. If that doesn't speak volumes about these kids these days, whoa. when the going gets tough, right? Yeah, it's real tough. You won two national championships and like are a folk hero because you helped them significantly by catching touchdowns. All right. Now, st sticking with college football real quick. This whole Ed Reed thing, I don't know if you guys are up to date on this, but wow. Wow. So let me explain this. So three weeks after it was announced that Pro Football Hall of Famer, one of the greatest safeties ever, Ed Reed, was signing on to become the head coach at Bethune-Cookman, uh, an HBCU. The deal was called off Saturday. So on December 27th, the program agreed in principle to hire him. He had no head coaching experience, but obviously we all saw and we know what Deion Sanders did with Jackson State. So this made sense. They're trying to get some of that same traction. Last week, however, Ed Reed went on IG Live and just blew up the whole, the whole thing. He's talking about how he's riding around the campus, his office was a disaster. It was dirty and not clean. And he's picking up trash with the players on the campus. And he's showing like, like buildings and facilities that are just, just dilapidated and, and weeds growing and stuff. Of course, then he, you know, it was kind of unprofessional, of course, because he's cursing and just pissed off on I, IG live. He, that Instagram live, he then apologized for his quote unquote, lack of professionalism and said he had an encouraging talk with his AD. Now, it's important to note Bethune-Cookman, most of you have never heard of this place, this college. It's an HBCU. Most of them are, you know, they're not top tier division one. They're not getting all this crazy money, right? But their athletic department has very minimal access to operating funds. So then over the weekend, Reed said he was informed that Bethune-Cookman would not ratify his contract, so he was not getting hired. He, he I guess, spoke in front of parents and players because it's on video. One of the parents or players filmed it, and he's saying, this hurts because I know people don't care about these kids like I do. Like, he was very emotional. And then afterwards, the AD was, like, on a Zoom or whoever that was on a Zoom call in this, in this little uh, lecture hall room, and the parents are speaking and saying, you know, he makes good points, like his office was dirty and yeah, he made a mistake, but let's be real, like everybody has made a mistake and that's no reason to not hire him. And then Reed was on, uh, I seen him on another video somewhere with somebody else saying, like he was so angry because he was saying, you know, Jackson State, Dion called me to take that job when he left and, and Bowling Green, he's like, I could have taken those other jobs, but I chose this place. And it, it's crazy because... I'm I'm trying to figure out like what he was expecting. He's going to a sub-level like HBCU where he's got to bring attention and awareness 
and start from the bottom. Like I understand now let, let's, to be fair, I think he's a little OCD because a few years back, I don't know if it was with the jets or at the end of his career, he went off uh, because uh, about a dirty locker room, like after a game or something, like he went off on the fellow players and everything. But I, I had, Oh, I had a video here. Where did it go? It was a really good video that I wanted to play of uh, Tennessee State, another HBCU, their head coach, former NFL player Eddie George on the situation, and basically saying, like, um, you, it's your job to to bring that change. Like, you go there, you you set the tone, you set the culture, and, and you help bring that change. Let me see if I could find this. I'm annoyed that I can't, that I lost this. Um, I thought I saved it. Let's see. Let me see. All right, here we go. Like shaming the school, right? We, we've yeah. seen sometimes, and I'm thinking about Ed Reed in particular. Yes, that, yeah, that I just, you know, it's funny. Weekend. I was just reading some of the comments off of, from his Twitter, uh, her Twitter post yesterday. Yeah. Where I think it was on Instagram Live. Yep. And, um, you know, it's frustrating. You know, he didn't understand exactly what he was walking in himself, getting himself into. And when you get under the hood and you really see what's going on and you do see the mold in the the apartments, you see the mold in the dorm rooms, you uh, see the, the facilities, the locker room is, is not the best. It's not clean. It's it's all of those things. But guess what? That's why you're there. And I choose to do it through action. You know, I choose to do it through, you know, hey, let me roll up my sleeves and get in front of these people, corporations, the president, you know, the politicians, and and, and say, basically, what, what are we doing here? Here it is, 2023, and it looks like, you know, these these buildings were are, are still in the 1950s. It has the same mold on it when, when I was there, because we actually, as the Tennessee Titans, we stayed on campus at Tennessee State in some of those dorm rooms. So it's it's not it's not a place where you know um, you can take great pride in because you're not making there's no plan to move it forward. If this is the the problem, then what is the plan to make it better? You know, my own son is going to Tennessee State University, so I have I've got to make this work. I must make this work. Yeah, I've got to see that change happen. So it's much bigger than just football. It's just providing a quality of life that these students absolutely deserve. You know, getting their Pell Grant money on time. You know, getting, making sure that, you know, they're, they're well fed. All these things have to change. You know, and the football games is one thing, but the quality of life and the experience that, and the education that this can provide for, for our students for years to come is much more important. So, yeah, very well said. I don't even need to add on to that, but that's exactly what I was, the point I was making. He, you know, has to be the change that he wants to see. And it's a shame because those players are now losing out on a grave opportunity for a guy like Ed Reed. And we don't know if he'll be a good coach or whatever, and I'm sure he'll get another shot elsewhere. But he was definitely going to bring that Dion level of attention. They would start to probably put some of those games on TV. He would start to get some better recruits in that would skip out on some D1 schools to go there because it's like, oh, Ed Reed, like this is a, you know, he's an NFL Hall of Famer. And so 
you know, it's tough for those kids and whatnot. But we'll see. We'll see if Ed Reed ever does get another job again or not. All right, let's talk a little basketball. My Nets are sputtering. They lost two in a row. They played really tough against the Sixers the other night. Seth Curry goes off for like 32. And then last night against the Pistons, he's got knee soreness and he's not playing. Then Ben Simmons gets like clobbered in the face early in the third quarter. And he leaves the game with a knee injury. And then TJ Warren gets basically fallen on, sprains his ankle. Nothing's crazy. He stayed in the game for a bit before coming out finally. And they're saying that's a knee injury also. So this Nets team desperately, desperately needs KD back. Uh, but I don't, I'm not even getting into the, the Nets really right now. Listen, we had our first trade of the season. We, we got the trade deadline, you know, coming up and we had the first trade and it's a no brainer. The Lakers making a trade because they're desperate. They acquired Rui Hachimura from the wizards in exchange for three second round picks. And I think Kendrick Nunn as well in this deal. Hachimura, only 24 years old, of course, the first Japanese-born player ever in the NBA, former lottery pick of the Wizards. Uh, I believe he won a national championship at Virginia as well. And um, he's shooting like 33% from three this year, but the Lakers are hoping he can regain some of that shooting form from a season ago in which he shot 44.7% from three. And I don't think they're done. They need to make so a lot more moves, if you ask me. Okay, uh, let's switch it. Talk about baseball real quick. The only player to make it into the Baseball Hall of Fame this year is one Scott Rowland. He's he was on the ballot for six years, and there's about 400 Baseball Writers of America who vote, and you need 75 percent threshold to get in. But the problem with baseball, it's just, it's so bad. I know we have the steroid era and all this and that, but like, and I know it's an exclusive club, but in the last three years, we've only had two guys get in. Two guys, it's it's become boring at this point. You want excitement. You want to see guys that you grew up watching, like, get in. But that's that's where we're at. Uh, Roland, I, I'm torn on this. I, I guess he should have gotten in, but I just don't know. He, to me... He uh, he was way more of a better defensive third baseman, and granted, he was one of the best. But so I may I guess he he deserved it. But seven time All Star, eight time Gold Glover. That's a lot of Gold Gloves, which is yeah fourth most among third basemen. He won one World Series in '06. He's beloved by the Cardinals and their fans. Uh, so here was the guys that got the guys that were snubbed this year. So Rowland got seventy six point three percent, hitting that seventy five percent threshold Todd Helton just missed out at 72.2 Billy Wagner missed out at 68.1 Andrew Jones got 58.1 Sheffield 55 Carlos Beltran 46.5 Jeff Kent 46.5 A-Rod 35 Manny Ramirez 33 Omar Vizquel not like 19 A-Rod ain't getting in not gonna happen so yeah those were some some really good players uh, Wagner and Helton, even Andrew Jones and Gary Sheffield. I mean, I think those are pretty damn good players. I think they, and, and Beltron, the whole stuff with the cheating with the Astros, I think he's going to have a hard time getting in. But 
who is a better switch hitter than him? I mean, one of the best all-time switch hitters for sure. Um, only four, back to Roland, only four third basemen have accounted for more wins above replacement and all are in the Hall of Fame. So I guess, you know, Roland did deserve it. And uh, here's a cool moment when he, when his parents found out that he was in the Hall of Fame. cool moment there for scott Rowland and his parents uh his dad's got like a walker so his parents are up there at age so it's really really special you know that they're alive and able to see this um because they're you know very emotional crying it's a it, you know there's can't be anything greater than you know being able to see your son's entire professional baseball career at success at the highest level and then culminating once he's retired finally finally after being on this ballot for six years now to finally get to see him in the hall of fame and, and hear that is it, just really really cool now roland was the only one that was voted in but fred mcgriff is also going in this year but his election comes via the contemporary era committee and not the writers. I guess this is something of a new thing that we're going to start to see more of from what I'm hearing. But um, yeah, so congrats to those guys and, and, and Roland there and his family. Next up, staying in baseball, White Sox reliever Mike Clevenger. I believe he was on the Padres last year. Hard throwing, uh, big, tall guy, long hair. Uh, he came from. You know, he, I think he was traded to the Padres at the deadline, around the deadline, and then uh, he he was hurt most of the year and then came back after he was traded to the Padres. But he's now he former starter. He's now being investigated following accusations of child abuse and domestic violence. Uh, so Olivia Feinstead, who is, I guess, his ex or the mother of at least his 10-month-old daughter, she told The Athletic she's been in contact with MLB officials since this summer. And it's a big blow to the White Sox because they are they were unaware of the allegations while signing Clevenger this offseason. Yikes. All right. We had a big uh, UFC card over the weekend. I didn't really I didn't watch it, but uh, it ended with two new champions Saturday night. Brandon Moreno concluded his four fight rivalry with uh, Devison Figueredo earning the flyweight championship after a stoppage. I think those two had split or something in their previous matchups. And then in the main event, Jamahal Hill dismantled Brazilian legend Glover Teixeira in a unanimous decision. Teixeira left his gloves in the cage, signaling retirement. 
I think there was a was there wasn't there like a a stoppage in one of these fights or something. I heard about a stoppage. I don't know. Anyway, that's your UFC news. In other news, we saw a bizarre scene the other night on ESPN in which what appeared to be an Uber Eats driver just walked onto the floor during the Duquesne-Loyola-Chicago game. This was Wednesday night. He was toting a McDonald's bag, and he was just, the game was going on, and he's just looking for the person that ordered this food. I mean, what in the hell was going on? This was bizarre. Take a listen. I'd go into the bench, and Loyola would take over 10 minutes before we get a stoppage, and we've got an official's timeout. And somebody came on the floor. On the far side. Looking for an Uber Eats delivery or something there. He's carrying some McDonald's. Oh, this has to be one of the all-time I'm greats. actually not kidding. No, I, no, I this think, is the I truth. I think that's what's happening. This guy's in the corner. looked like he... Was he going to deliver the, the McDonald's to somebody on the court? Can we rule that out? He's... A- <laughs> I mean, I think that's an Uber Eats sticker. Is that I, what that is? I'm trying to get confirmation. Uh, Uber yeah. Eats, yes. Maybe I'll put my hand up. I'm getting a little hungry. He can bring it over here. So we saw the stoppage. The, the, the man was usher. Let's see if we can see this. No, this is going to be the turnover. In the there he court. is. There, right there, there he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's this a, guy is actually, who's he delivering it to? The ref. The, the, the ref said later. Give it to me later. Not I mean, now. Philip Alston's done a lot. I didn't think he needed a Big Mac for sustenance in the middle of the game. I, I know, but I'm not. Well, the official out there, Tim, he, he distanced him like, I didn't say now. Later. That's got to be unbelievable. That's got to be something that the highlight shows are going to have a blast with. Oh, yeah. Everybody had a field day with this. It's like, is this a real Uber Eats driver? Like, what? A, th- this guy needs a raise. He he was delivering food all the way to the court of a basket. Like, how did he get past security? Like, all time great. And then we find out today it was a prank, I guess, for social media. And this wasn't even real. but. Oh, my God. For for a few minutes there, it was pretty hysterical. And the announcers are like, uh, uh, they think that it's for the the, the ref and uh, just hysterical, hysterical moment there at the Duquesne-Loyola-Chicago game. Okay, back to the NBA real quick. All-star starters were announced yesterday, the top two vote-getters being LeBron and Giannis, so they become the team captains. I think LeBron's been the captain every year now. In the East, we had KD, Kyrie, Tatum, Donovan Mitchell, and, yeah, of course, Giannis. And in the West, LeBron, Luka, Steph, Jokic, and Zion. So LeBron is making his 19th All-Star Game appearance, tying him with Kareem for most all-time. And... Funny enough, he is probably going to pass Kareem for most career points in NBA history by the All-Star break also. Now, Zion, he is making his second All-Star appearance. He's averaging 26-7, and but he's also missed over 20 games, and Charles Barkley was not happy about this. This is like the tail end of it, but it was in reference to Zion. Okay. People, we let the fans vote. Look what happened last time they got to vote for president. All right. Uh, (laughs) Hey, now. Yeah, there's been talk of load management and all this stuff as well of late. But uh, yeah, he was not happy that he got voted as an all-star game starter. Now, Jokic, he's making his fifth all-star game appearance. 
He was drafted as the 41st pick in 2014 out of Serbia. It's just ridiculous. For those of you that don't know, that's a second-round pick. And he is the reigning back-to-back MVP. And guess what? He's having a better season, his best season of his career, which means that he's probably going to win a third straight MVP. Ladies and gentlemen, he is averaging 25.1 points, 11 rebounds, and 9.9 assists. He's 0.1 assists away from averaging a triple-double. Oh, yeah, and by the way, Denver's in first place in the Western Conference. Now, Luka, he will be making his fourth All-Star game. He did get banged up last night, but they're ruling him as day-to-day, so I think he should be okay for the game, for the All-Star game. Uh, Steph Curry, he's back making his ninth All-Star Game appearance. Another guy missed like three weeks earlier this year, but, you know, he is Steph. This will be uh, Giannis's seventh All-Star Game. The Greek Freak is averaging a whopping 31-12. and 12. Jason Tatum, fourth All-Star Game appearance, averaging 31-8.6 and 8.6 for the top team in the East. Kevin Durant, he's making his 13th All-Star game, averaging 29.7 points, 6.7 rebounds, and 5.3 assists right before he got hurt. And there is some optimism he could actually be back for this All-Star game, too, because he had to miss it last year for this same injury. Then we have Kyrie Irving. I don't know if this is a surprise or not with everything that went on with his anti-Semitic comments and stuff at the beginning of the year and not really the... Um, most popular guy right now, but the fans actually voted him in as a starter. It's his eighth, averaging 26.8, 5.1 rebounds, and 5.2 assists, including he's currently on a five-game streak where he has scored five straight games, 30 points or more, which tied a career long. He did that one stretch for five games in 20, what was it, 2019 or so with the, with the, um, Boston Celtics. Then you have Donovan Mitchell. It's his fourth All-Star game appearance. First as a starter, coincidentally, in his first year in Cleveland. He's having a stellar year, averaging 28.3, four rebounds, and 4.8 assists. Now, I don't think we know the reserves yet, but there will be an All-Star draft. However, it won't take place until pregame, which will be on TNT Sunday, February 19th at 7.30. Switching it up a little bit this year. I don't know how I feel about that, but we'll see. Some guys are not going to be happy, especially the guy drafted last. Uh, Some sad news to report. Bill Packer, the legendary college basketball announcer, died at the age of 82 a few days ago or sometime this week. He was hospitalized for the past three weeks and had several medical issues, ultimately succumbing to kidney failure. He worked as an analyst or color commentator for 34 straight Final Fours with both NBC and CBS. He was with NBC from 1974 to 81, and then CBS all the way until 2008. He won the Sports Emmy Award for Outstanding Sports Personality slash Analyst in 1993 when I was one year old, one years old. So uh, RIP to a legend. Speaking of legends, Bill Raftery is still 
going strong. I think he's like 82, and there's an article about him on The Athletic, but I think they were speaking about him this morning, and they said he, he's done like three games in three days at three different schools, and it's just incredible like that he's still going strong like that. But So I need to read that article as well. Uh, the Mets and Jeff McNeil agreed to a $50 million extension. This just came through an hour or so ago. This seems like a very friendly contract for the Mets. $50 million for the reigning NL batting champ. Very, a little Seems a little bit odd, but when I start peeling back the onion, McNeil's age, as well as the market not rewarding contact-oriented players made the deal with the Mets very appealing because he, he was going to become a free agent just before his age 33 season, and it didn't look like he was going to get much on the open market, which... You guys know how, what I think about the state of the uh, of the game right now with launch angle and everything. Just ask, you know, the Yankees how that's worked out in the playoffs or uh, Joey Gallo who can't hit 200. I'll take a guy like McNeil who's going to hit 330 or 310 or 315 or 318 every year consistently over a guy that's going to hit 200, strike out 250 times and maybe possibly hit 30 home runs every damn day of the week. Okay, some other news. The Falcons hired Ryan Nielsen as their defensive coordinator. Don't know too much about him, but it looks like he spent the better part um, of his career with the Saints. He was uh, the co-defensive coordinator with the Saints last year. The 43-year-old Nielsen spent six years before that as the D-line coach. And in 2021, he became assistant head coach. And then last year, he was promoted to co-defensive coordinator. So they're prying him away from their uh, rival division rival there. So that'll be interesting to see. Another interesting thing to report, Tua Tagovailoa is still in concussion protocol a month after his latest concussion. Now, he suffered that really brutal one um, that got that medical... Per uh, guy fired and everything and basically changed the way we look at concussions in the NFL this season. So Tua was a first alternate for either Burrow or Mahomes because one of them is going to make the Super Bowl. So whichever one does, he was going to be the first alternate. So and the Pro Bowl is next week. But this is like flag football we're doing now. This isn't even tackle football. This Pro Bowl. So the fact that he can't even do that is a little bit scary and it gives you pause in terms of the future of this Miami team because when they had Tua, they were rolling. They were humming and then Tua goes down multiple times and it just, it all went downhill. So they could be in the market for a quarterback as well. Okay, what are we watching this week? Obviously, football. You've got the 49ers at the Eagles. That is on Fox Sunday at 3 p.m. The current line on this game. Now, the Eagles are the home team, so this is in Philly. So San Fran's got to go all the way across the country. Brock Purdy's really playing, you know, a, a, an NFC championship game on the road. It's very daunting. No rookie quarterback has ever you know, started in a Super Bowl so or won a Super Bowl. So it's going to be very tough sledding. The 49ers are plus two and a half. I really love them on the money line, um, which means the Eagles are probably going to win. I hate to say that, but 
He has been unbelievable. 16 touchdowns to just four interceptions. He could have easily walked away with rookie of the year if he was starting from day one. The only problem is he was the third string quarterback and the last pick in the NFL draft. It's just, it's a made for Hollywood movie. It's unbelievable. He's going up against, you know, a second round quarterback, but then you've got Joe Burrow in the AFC, who was a the first overall pick, a bona fide stud in college, and won a national championship, possibly the greatest season ever at, at LSU in the history of the sport. And then you've got Patrick Mahomes, Texas Tech, top 10 pick, the best quarterback in the league right now. So we're, we're going to find out. Uh, but actually, Jalen Hurts and Brock Purdy faced off in college, and that was when Jalen Hurts was at Oklahoma and Brock Purdy was at Iowa State, and this was a barn burner that Jalen Hurts won 42-40. to So let's see if Brock Purdy can get a little bit of a re- revenge. I really think that their front seven and, and Nick Bosa, who I believe led the league in sacks this year and is a finalist for Defensive Player of the Year, finalist for these awards came out uh, as well. And um, Kyle Shanahan is right there for Coach of the Year. I believe... Kyle Shanahan's experience over Nick Sirianni. I, I I truly believe Kyle Shanahan is, has emerged with what he's done this year with three different quarterbacks. I truly believe that he is the coach of the year and the best coach in the NFL right now. And I hope to God he goes out and stomps Philly because I do not want to see Philly in another Super Bowl. I really don't. So I, I'm taking 49ers with the points. I like McCaffrey anytime touchdown. There's a promo for that as well on DraftKings. So I love that. And then in the second game, oh, well, I think that the what I was getting to before I get to the second game is I think the front seven with Nick Bosa and those boys are going to be able to limit that run uh, with Miles Sanders. They gashed. They absolutely gashed the Giants last week. I don't, they're not going to be able to do that against the 49ers. And I this, the thing that, bothers me is I think they know that and they're probably going to try to throw the ball early because the weakness is the secondary for the 49ers but I'm sure D'Amico Ryans knows that so he should be ready and I really do think the offense of the Niners can do enough this kid Purdy just doesn't turn the ball over and they're efficient man and I think they'll score more they could score more than 19 um the Cowboys have a really good defense led by a former Super Bowl uh head coach, uh, a coach that took his Falcons to the Super Bowl and Dan Quinn. So he does a very good job coaching up that defense. It's way better than the Eagles defense, in my opinion. Uh, It's just going to be interesting because the Eagles O-line is so good. But I'm sorry, you're not stopping Bosa and those guys. You're just not. And they were so good against the Giants. This is a totally different animal. Give me the 49ers. In the second game, Chiefs-Bengals, I talked a lot about this earlier. I don't really think you can bet this. The Chiefs are just one-and-a-half-point favorites over the Bengals. The Bengals keep defying the odds on the road. I just, playing the numbers, I don't think they could win a fourth straight against the Chiefs. I just don't see that happening. So give me the Kansas City Chiefs here, although I don't I don't know that I'm going to be able to bet this. Thank God the 49er game is on, is on first because if I can win with my 49ers bet, then I'll throw something on the Chiefs. But that's that's what I'm thinking as of right now. Okay, you've also got uh, Saturday being tomorrow. You've got some NBA action nuggets at Sixers. That's on ABC at 3 p.m. You've got the Knicks at Nets. That's must watch. That's 5.30 on ABC. You've then got 
How's that on at 5.30? The Nuggets game's going to be over by then? I don't know. Maybe it's because the net the Nets and Sixers game the other night was like three hours, three and a half hours long. Okay, then you've got, that culminates with the Lakers at Celtics at 8.30 on ABC. Three games on ABC. I don't know if that's right, but that's what it says. Then you've got the Australian Open tennis. The women's final will be Saturday at 3.30 a.m. Eastern. Um, so is that technically tonight? And then you've got the men's final, which is Sunday at 3.30 Eastern. So uh, I know Joke, the Joker, Djokovic, Djokovic is in the um, finals against that guy, Tip Sitchapich, whatever his name is. And then I don't even know who it is for the women. It's, 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 I mean, I looked at it, but I can't tell you their names. I don't remember. They're, they're crazy foreign names. I don't recognize them. But uh, yeah, if you're awake, I could be awake tonight at 3.30. I expect to be playing some Call of Duty. I don't know if I'll be awake that late, but uh, if I am, I might turn that on and watch the women. Okay, and then in college basketball, it's a stacked weekend for more drama. Number 10, Texas, at number 4, Tennessee. That's at 6 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. And then you've got number 9, Kansas, at Kentucky. That's at 8 p.m., That those games tomorrow. And... It's going to be a wild weekend of college hoops for sure. And then finally, last and definitely, yeah, definitely the last segment. And I say last but not least all the time, but it is actually the last segment. On this date in, where are we? January 27th, 1982. By the way, yesterday was my sister's birthday. So shout out to her. Happy birthday. She turned 28. I got her a nice Kindle Paperwhite for her birthday. So, you know, pretty, pretty darn good gift. If you ask me, she liked it a lot. She actually told me she loved it in a text message this morning, which I was like, whoa, that's a bit strong, but that's how I know I did good. Anyway, January 27th, 1982, the Philadelphia Phillies traded shortstop Larry Boa and infield infielder Ryan Sandberg to the Chicago Cubs for second baseman Yvonne DeJesus worked out pretty good for the Cubs. Sandberg is fourth on the Cubs hit list all time with 2,385, if I could read. Yeah, looks like that's going to wrap it up on this edition of This Week in Sports. I believe this was episode 198. I got the episode number wrong the last couple weeks ago or last week this would be yeah episode 198 second straight week on a friday give me some pop props for that um i've got it really jam-packed uh weekend planned i uh I, you know going to my grandma's um to celebrate my sister's birthday because we didn't have everyone over here um and we'll do that on Sunday. We'll watch the Rutgers game. We'll watch the football, all that good stuff. And then uh, actually tomorrow I'm kind of off. So that'll be nice to just sit back and relax. And then Sunday morning I'm doing a, we have a camp going on for for softball. So I'll be doing that in the morning. So jam-packed Sunday. But yet tomorrow I'll be just chilling, relaxing, watching football and, or watching basketball and, um, some new movies that came out this weekend, some new TV shows. I got to catch up on your honor. I haven't started the new season of that. 
And then um, I know Stephen A. Smith just came out with a new book called Straight Shooter. I want to read that. I have that downloaded. I got to load that on my Kindle because I'm just about to finish another uh, book that I was reading. And yeah, I'll play some video games. And for all you uh, Nintendo fans and and uh, GoldenEye fans, excuse me, GoldenEye fans from N64 days, it was just basically ported over to Xbox Game Pass and Nintendo Switch. So you could play that. No multiplayer, but you can you can play GoldenEye. I used to love GoldenEye uh, back in the day. But uh, yeah, with that being said, guys, that's going to wrap it up. Episode 198. I'm the Pody. Signing off. Have a great weekend. I'll see you guys in seven days.